Uh, we are going to have a brief prayer from uh, Mark Newham. Uh, Mark and Jill uh, recently joined. Uh, they moved to Beijing. Uh, they are old friends. Come on. Uh, they are old friends. They lived in Mongolia out in this very remote place in north uh, we- uh, western Mongolia for 18 years. Did a very significant piece of work among some people out there. They have uh, moved to Beijing and joined our community and going to continue their work out of Beijing here for this next uh, period. So I've asked Mark to pray in Mongolian for us this morning. So Let's pray. It's in Taniarun Sunsig, Tun Hoya Dachin, he said, Ugukch. Timbalho, Tuniux, Taniux is born. It's in Bidner, Bidner in Sunslik, Chich Nere, Timurchus Bidner, Taniarunuk, Taniuxanuk, Hulin Archbosom, Bidney, Taniarun Nere, Hamselpern. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Most countries and uh, corporations in the world today periodically engage in uh, the process of strategic planning. Uh, Strategic planning is, of course, the the process of carefully defining an organization's direction for normally at least the coming three to five years. It involves making uh, decisions about an organizational goals Uh, the type of staff that are needed to achieve those goals, uh, how to utilize and deploy those staff. Uh, Good strategic plans have the ability to cast vision uh, for a group of people and inspire involvement uh, and also help an organization track its progress over a period of time. Uh, We are engaged in a seven-week study of the subject What's so good about the good news? Uh, Over 70 times in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament uses the word good news uh, to describe its teaching. And the element uh, of the good news that I'd like to focus on very briefly this morning in our remaining time is this. God is in one sense, according to the scripture, the ultimate strategic planner. Uh, He decided on the purpose and the direction of his creation uh, before he created it. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, you specifically were chosen to play a meaningful and important part uh, in his purpose and program. Now, of all the writers of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul has the most to say about these overarching purposes of God and his program. And in his letter to the Christians at Ephesus, he says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and 11. He says, before God created the world, he chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. In his loving, kind intentions, he predestined us to adoption into his family, bringing us to himself 
through Jesus Christ. So this passage clearly teaches us that before God created, he made some very uh, long-term strategic decisions. According to the current scientific consensus, the, the, uh, the world, is, the earth, is about four point something billion years old. And whether you believe that or not, or whether that's true, in any case, God is involved and has in planning and has some time horizons that are normally a little broader uh, than our, uh, we are normally accustomed to. But in, these, in this verse, uh, there's two verbs. First, he chose. Secondly, he predestined. He chose us, it says, to make us holy, that is to produce this quality of holiness within us. The Greek word in the New Testament was written uh, for this word is for holy is agios. It means a, a type of moral purity, uh, a type of, of sacredness that is entitled to respect. It has a, a kind of a related meaning of, of a person or an object that is holy is to illustrate a dignity and to be a worthy of respect, of a, a type of nobility, actually, is one connotation of the word. So he chose us for this very special identity that he drew us to himself to achieve, and that, according to the scripture, he is currently developing within us. And also it said he predestined us uh, specifically for adoption into his family. This is a much more intimate language uh, than the previous expression. But this is only one of many uh, biblical passages that where we find this teaching Uh, For example, in the second letter that Paul wrote to the people, the Christians at uh, Thessalonica, he says this, God has chosen you from the beginning uh, for salvation through the Holy Spirit's work of setting you apart and through your faith in the truth. So this is another pretty clear, straightforward verse. It says, we have been chosen from the beginning. We have, we have been given a special destiny, and this happens uh, in time, in, in, in our dimension of time, first through the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, that is, at some particular point in an individual's life that God has chosen to draw to himself, he begins working in their mind and heart. Now, So many of you are wonderful Christian parents, so we know, we can deduce that God is working through you to illustrate the love of Christ to your children and to use that to deepen their awareness, understanding of him, and to draw them to himself. But for those who don't have that background, at some particular point, God begins creating this curiosity my observation so often is about, you know, people get accustomed or they get acquainted with some other uh, authentic Christ followers and they get uh, curious. Uh, they may earlier, you know, I think most of it, I mean, I was a non-Christian for years of my adult life uh, or developing adult life. And I just couldn't relate to these religious people. Uh, but then I was exposed to a quality of a group of people that I'd never observed before, a Christian community that likes of which I had never uh, encountered before, and it stimulated my curiosity. 
And I think that's what he, he often does. And so he begins working in the heart of those that he has chosen and ultimately brings them to a place in which he grants them faith, an understanding of the identity of Christ and the ability to trust in Christ's work, uh, which is, of course, the prerequisite to being uh, accepted by God. He goes on, Paul does, in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. Um, He says, God knew his people in advance, chose them, and having chosen them, called them to come to him. Uh, Historically, some have argued that God makes this choice uh, based on his prior understanding that people would choose him. Uh, The problem with that interpretation is that the, the word foreknew that is employed by Paul here uh, means much more than foresight or a recognition of a previous choice. It involves a a deep, personal, intimate kind of knowing and embracing. And he did this uh, prior. He had this awareness, obviously, according to this passage, in some way that we don't understand before he created And so, as a genuine follower of Christ, he knew you and chose you uh, on the basis of his love and kindness, not on the basis of any choice uh, that you would make. Paul is not the only New Testament writer that teaches this. Uh, The Apostle Peter says in his first letter, for example, in chapter 2, he says, But you are a chosen people, God's holy nation, his very own possession so you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so this passage says that god's people um, are a community of people uh, who have been called out of darkness out of a, a condition of spiritual ignorance and moral corruption, and he has drawn them to himself. And one of his intentions is that they, as individuals and as a community, would then so discover uh, his excellence and his greatness that they would be inspired and effective in making that known to the broader community around them. Now, one of the big challenges in theological study is sorting out the meaning of these verses because these and other verses are quite clear about God's sovereign choosing of those who will come to understand and be uh, connected to him uh, relationally and eternally. So how do we sort out those verses with other passages that clearly seem to teach that God desires all people? to come to uh, knowledge of him. For example, Paul himself uh, says in his first letter to his young disciple Timothy in chapter 2, he says, God our Savior desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is there's two streams of passages in, in the New Testament that seem to be Uh, On the one hand, emphasizing quite clearly the freedom of man, and on the other hand, the absolute sovereignty of God. And it's very, very difficult to understand how we can integrate uh, these two 
streams of passages. Uh, There's been a a discussion of this for some 1,700 years in the history of the Christian church and theological studies. In the last 500 years, uh, broadly speaking, the Christian community has agreed generally with the views of either John Calvin or those of Jacob Arminius, who were two Europeans, of course, several hundred years ago. But one of the most interesting arguments I've ever read was by uh, a more recent author, contemporary author. He's a guy who's an astrophysicist named Hugh Ross. And he believes that uh, we cannot understand this fully from our limited frame of reference, that God's multidimensionality is ultimately the explanation uh, for this. And he has some very, very interesting, fascinating uh, thoughts and insights. He, you know, he, he relates all these discussions about scientific discovery of these m- multiple dimensions that, you know, the physicists tell us about. And uh, he, he has some really interesting thoughts about it. But regardless of which view that you and I embrace, the New Testament unmistakably teaches that God chooses uh, his people. So the next question, of course, is for what? Well, we have already identified some of those. First of all, for adoption, to experience God's love. I mean, it's, this is the most amazing information that anyone can discover in this life if it's true. And, of course, we believe as a Christian community that it is, that Paul isn't just spinning his own point of view, that he is a specially appointed representative of God, as with the Apostle Peter and the other writers of the New Testament. They were given a very specialized kind of divine insight and revelation that God used them to communicate uh, to uh, the world. And from that, we know that we are chosen for one thing, to be adopted. Uh, We have, of course, in Beijing, we've had the opportunity to observe so many people uh, that have adopted uh, children from around the world, many Chinese children. Uh, In fact, I just... uh, met and, uh, or became aware that a good friend in our congregation adopted a, a little girl five uh, years ago from China, and it'll be their fifth uh, anniversary of their adoption coming up next uh, Sunday. But it's such a beautiful uh, picture. The New Testament uses this word adoption for very specific reasons. As we see someone who is adopting a child, embracing them, and then determining and committing themselves to providing for that child's need, to love them, to care for them, to provide for them, to, to equip them with an education and all the skills that they need to develop and become a healthy, independent person. And uh, this is clearly the language that Scripture uses for, for us, for one of the purposes of our selection. Secondly, we're chosen to employ our gifts to provide for our families. Also, as we've read, to become morally pure or sacred. Um, the, the whole idea of dignity is, is something that's been kind of degraded, I think, in pop culture. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of, of, um, of dignity that is displayed in a lot of films and music that I, uh, you know, acquainted with and that you're acquainted with, but 
God is in the process, according to these passages, of developing within you and me qualities that reflect or display his own majesty, his own dignity, his own sacredness. And if we can get our minds around that, that is an amazing uh, insight into God's uh, purposes. And we are to proclaim his excellence, uh, first Peter says, both as individuals and as a broader community. But uh, finally, in, in one other verse, I'll mention briefly, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul has much to say about this, but he says also in that passage, he says, God has created us anew in Christ so we may do the things he planned for us long ago. So this is teaching us that not only in God's strategic planning process, Long ago, he selected you, he chose you for adoption, but there is uh, some very specific intentions for you as an individual. It seems clear from this passage for us as for the community, more broadly speaking, and for individuals to specifically respond to his individual guidance so that you can realize or you can experience in your life the purpose, and actually fulfill the specific design and intentions that he planned for you long, long ago. Paul says in Ephesians, I mean in Philippians chapter 3, when he's writing to these close friends, the Philippians, he says that he wanted to do everything that he possibly could to eliminate any hindrance from his life so that he could realize fully the reason for which God had laid hold of him. And that is, of course, a very good uh, life purpose for a Christian. A good friend uh, from Kenya that was in a class I taught several months ago made this uh, statement, and it really stuck with me. We were teaching a class on teaching methods, and he made this statement in one of his uh, sermons. Uh, for the class, and I wrote it down and I review it regularly. He said, knowing God's will is the greatest knowledge, and doing God's will is the greatest achievement. If God is who the Bible proclaims him to be, the creator and sustainer of everything, the person, Paul said, the, the book of the Acts says, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, he, we are dependent upon him every moment for every resource that we have. So what could possibly be more important in life than to discover his particular will for your life? Uh, and... Discover it, know it, and then uh, do it. And then last, uh, Paul says, after having elaborated to the Ephesians and that his ideas in his teaching about God's longer-term purposes, he, he says in Ephesians 4, he says, finally, I beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 
And he also said to uh, his friends in Thessalonica, he says, We pray for you always that our God may consider you worthy of your calling. So this means that God has chosen you, uh, he has selected you, and that calling is an amazingly high and lofty privilege. He intends to develop these qualities of moral purity in you and then use your gifts uh, in a variety of ways to provide for your family and also to advance his program uh, on the earth But Paul says, I am praying that God would consider you worthy of your calling, which, of course, implies that it's possible that God may not consider uh, someone worthy of their calling. Uh, This week, I've been reading a a best-selling book uh, called Into the Fire, a firsthand account of the most extraordinary battle of the Afghan war. Uh, The book is primarily about a young American Marine named Dakota Meyer. Uh, September 8, 2009, uh, just about three years ago, a group of soldiers, of which Meyer uh, was a part, uh, went to a prearranged meeting uh, with a group of village elders uh, in a village in northern Afghanistan. Uh, but instead of the meeting that they had expected and, and arranged for, they were ambushed. A large group of these allied soldiers, both American and, and Afghan, were ambushed by about 100 Taliban in this box canyon from which there was uh, virtually no escape. Uh, over the next six hours, uh, there was a significant amount of incompetence, uh, indecision, and even cowardice uh, displayed by the people in the chain of command who could have taken decisive action and put some artillery and some air support and some other uh, resources to help these people that were fighting for their lives. Uh, But because some of this happened, the result was a developing massacre of all the Allied forces uh, that morning. Uh, Four individuals, however, uh, made some dramatic decisions uh, to fulfill their responsibilities as men and as soldiers. Uh, And the person who took the greatest initiative was this 21-year-old corporal, uh, Dakota Meyer. Uh, When a number of soldiers were yielding to fear, Over six hours, Meyer led uh, five armored truck trips directly into the killing zone uh, in the face of almost certain death uh, because there were a group of his friends and fellow soldiers there. And ultimately, uh, even though he was shot in the arm at one point, uh, he was engaged in literally hand-to-hand combat with a Taliban uh, soldier and uh, managed to survive that encounter. Uh, He rescued 36 men who would almost certainly have died uh, without his direct action and his initiative. Uh, After the battle, uh, 
He was Meyer, young Dakota Meyer, was awarded the U.S. United States Congressional Medal of Honor by the president, uh, which is the highest uh, honor given by the United States military. Uh, he's the first living Marine in 42 years uh, to receive the medal. Uh, most Medal of Honor uh, awards are awarded posthumously. That is, they're given to soldiers who were killed uh, in the line of duty in the process of, of, of course, uh, winning the award. But in the ceremony in the White House, uh, these remarks were read. It says, His unwavering courage uh, and steadfast devotion to his U.S. and Afghan comrades in the face of almost certain death reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the Marine Corps and the United States Naval Service. Now, as I've read this book, it's a fascinating read. It's not a long read. Um, I thought, you know, this in some way, I, I believe, is analogous uh, to the Christian uh, community. Of course, the you know, Christian community, there's some estimated one billion uh, followers of Christ in some respect or the other uh, on the earth today. Christian community is very large, varied, uh, but according to Scripture and, and uh, obser- common observation, it seems that some of us, we are worthy of the calling to which we are calling, or certainly we're, we're, you know, a number of, of people are attempting to be uh, worthy of that high calling, and uh, others appear not to be uh, so much. And so, Scripture urges us. He says, I beseech you, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You have been destined for adoption into the family of the Almighty according to his loving, kind intentions. He has gone to great lengths to enable you to be forgiven fully, accepted, and embraced. He has gifted you and me. But then... In the process of living out our faith over a lifespan, we get to choose if we are going to step up, fulfill our responsibilities, and actively, intentionally engage in the war that the, the Bible describes as the reality on the earth. It's a different kind of war. It involves the use of different kinds of weapons. But the scripture teaches that you and I have been engaged as soldiers. And so we get to choose uh, whether we are going to stand up and fulfill the destiny to which uh, we have been called. And it's my great uh, privilege and pleasure in our community to see so many I think of you doing this beautifully. They're some of the most inspiring people that I've ever met right here in this uh, room today. And we consider it a privilege, uh, Iris and I, to be a part of this fellowship. We've gone through three different aspects of the good news. 
And so what I'd like to do and as we close this morning is to read together an affirmation uh, of the good news. Um, what I have done in my own personal devotionals is I've taken some of these passages that we've been discussing and I, in my, I have a little document that I, I, medit- I use for my personal meditations and I change the language, slightly modify the language so it's not Paul telling the Ephesians or me or whomever what has happened. I morph the language a little bit so it is because I believe that this is a message from God. I tweak the language so it is God who is speaking to me, uh, affirming what the Bible is saying. So if you're willing, I want you to read out with me uh, these, uh, this following uh, few statements that are drawn directly uh, from the Bible. And, and please, if you're willing, do so boldly. Because if you and I can understand this truth and get it deep in our minds and hearts, it will change us. It will change our identity. It will change our perception of God, our relationship with him. It will enable us to become more vital, authentic, fruitful people, the people that he wants us to be. So if you will, please read along with me in these following few verses. Rich in mercy, because of my great love for you, I made you alive with Christ when you were dead in your sins. In the ages to come, I will reveal to you the riches of my grace and kindness toward you. I have delivered you from the authority of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of my beloved son. Because you heard my word and believed me, who sent my only begotten, I have given you eternal life. You have passed from death into life. I have given you my own righteousness. You now are at peace with me and live in my grace. I have created you anew through Christ so you may do the things I've planned for you. Now live worthy of my calling. Lord, I pray for each of us. I pray that for myself that you will help me to understand and embrace and internalize this truth so it can be uh, more deeply uh, a transforma- transforming experience in my own life. I pray that for everyone here. I pray we, that you would clarify this information for us, that you would illuminate it, that you would inspire us with it, that we can become who you want us to be and that you would fully consider us worthy of this magnificent calling to which we are called in Christ's name.